Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Thanks for listening and making a commitment to your learning. We hope that you are doing well. We're your hosts, Yvonne. That's me. Jordan, she's on the other side Hi. of the country, <laughs> of the other, of the country, <laughs> yeah, the other side of the microphone. And then um, in case you are, for some reason, joining us this week and not listening in order, um, we're also still joined by Miss Liz Houston. Hey. Hello, hello. Who doesn't <laughs> listen in order? I'm so anal. I cannot, I can't do that. I, I, I think some people don't, and it's like it, it, that's fine. I, I, no I think problem. there's there are those people out there who like just pick and choose like what sure. like things they want to learn about. That. Which I yeah I <laughs> this episode I do not recommend to no. just pick and no. Choose. <laughs> no 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 because we've already talked about terminology. We've yeah. defined our terms around cannabis. Uh, we talked about. Um, at the endocannabinoid system, which is like the basis for what Oof, we're really yeah. going to be talking about today, which are the how we use cannabis, um, how to dose cannabis, uh, the safety implications, intoxications, um, mm. what that looks like and how we treat it or or don't <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and then how to pick a, a product. And so we'll touch a little bit on legality and stuff like that too. And what to look mm-hmm. for in a, we also a, did yeah. a little introduction of Liz in case oh. you don't know who Liz is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, go back and listen to all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that she's got a lot of stuff that she's done, but I think so, most importantly is you are a, hold on. Let me make sure I don't mess this up. All the initials. Um, you are Oh gosh, a veterinary, or you're a co-founder of the Veterinary Cannabinoid Academy. That is correct. Um, as well as you're a co-editor of the Cannabis Therapy and Veterinary Medicine. So like that is correct. That is what we're talking about with like these two episodes. We may do more in the future, depending on. Absolutely, because I'm. Our I feel like we're going to need a Q and A. Like uh, <laughs> we like probably a call could in, do like right? a Q and A, right? Yeah. Um just because this is such a, I would, I mean, it's sad to say it's an up and coming part of our field, but it is, which is is really sad because it's thousands of year old thing. But, uh, (laughs) but I mean, I I think there's so much surrounding it and we kind of touched on it last week that the stigma and we'll talk about that too. So, um, I think I didn't, I mean, I didn't talk a lot about the history before. Mm. Um, and I, it is in the show notes. Um, it should be its own episode. We should do a full episode on just cannabis. (laughs) If you want to see all the history about it, but truly Yvonne is right. We have used this plant as medicine for literally thousands of years. The first mention of it, I think in a text was like 2,500 BC or something like that. So we have been using this plant for medical purposes um, and for recreational purposes for Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of years. And, um, and I think that is, is something that's important. I mean, yeah, it's not, not important to keep in mind that, Mm -hmm. um, that it's, uh, it is, 
uh, I feel like we should be using all the tools at our disposal when we're treating ourselves or our pets. Yeah. And, um, and this can be a really fabulous tool in your arsenal of not treating. Not, not to be like completely random, but like what would one of our episodes be if I didn't have like a random thing to like <laughs> administer here? But like it stems off of you saying like we use it for recreational use and blah 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 but like dolphins do the same thing right That's like exactly they utilize right. lemurs you see those lemurs who eat those um caterpillars they yeah. chew the caterpillars oh, and the right. caterpillars they rub the caterpillars on them because it's like a, it has an insecticide but it also gets them high so <laughs> yeah. they eat it they get drunk they're they get their fleas off of them and stuff yeah animals do this Yes. animals do it so birds humans... eat bear fermented berries and get drunk mm, and fall yep. you know run into your windows and fall on your patio and, well and you know. it's like cats with catnip and yeah like, you know, it's exactly, just like, exactly nice. right so the stigma like if it's in the animal world right like i'm i'm in this new mindset it's a it's a newer mindset and i don't know maybe this episode's fitting for me but like it's just one of those mindsets where i'm like in the animal world animals have it right like they know exactly what to do that they need to do to survive like they know when to migrate they know when to like how to readjust their homes versus humans are a little bit on the selfish side right we build bigger homes because we want it to be better than someone else's but yeah. animals build a different type of home because it's just necessity that's right or for community right? Or and they want to get the lot, girl. There are a lot of things in the animal but that's necessity, kingdom, right? That, that's like, yeah. There are a lot of things that I believe our wild ancestors did and continue to do right. And then we I mean. could learn lots of lessons. So there. if animals yeah. do it to release stress or why, right. ever, why, whatever reason they have to not want, like to want to get high, like <laughs> right. the humans, like, well, right. and it's, it's funny because you talk about stress and we've talked about this in like our nursing episodes where we talk about like in clinic or even outside of clinic, like reducing stress and how exactly. all those cortisols <laughs> running right. through your system, delay wound healing and That's like right. all sorts of things. So, you know, there is reasons why we want to reduce that stuff. And, and I think, I, I just, I think that this is, um, episodes like this like and and training because you teach these um you teach the ce at conferences and yeah i do this talk at ce conferences i do this talk in in veterinary clinics um you know and and these my research on the topic you know really led to the founding of the veterinary cannabinoid academy with steven Mm. satal and and because we recognized that there just wasn't enough evidence-based information getting out there to the veterinary community about this and there is a ton of evidence and one of the things we hear from veterinarians and jordan mentioned it in the last Mm -hmm. episode is but you, you were making a good point like so i think you and steven kind of diving into this at the time that you are diving into it right is perfect right because the human world's still figuring it out that's right. and human medicine is still figuring it out and normally veterinary medicine is just years behind the times right like years but yeah you're, you're like riding on the coattails of human medicine i agree a hundred percent i think in some ways because so many of the studies done on cannabis and cannabinoids use animal models then mm-hmm. in a lot of ways we are ahead of human medicine because yeah. we don't have to translate the results necessarily to a, to a human model. We have, we know how it acts in animal physiology because they use 
dogs and cats and and mice as models or have historically, right? In the, mm -hmm. the initial research in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Now, of course, we have research using animals as the target species. So a lot of the other research was done with humans ultimately as the target species of mm -hmm. treatment, but the using animal models. So we are able to use a ton of that research, that historical research and the current research. This is such an amazing One Health topic, mm -hmm. not, not in, the, in the way that um, a disease process affects both species or, or animal and, and human species, right? But in the way that we can use this plant to treat similar conditions, yeah. and diseases in yeah. both sets of Which species. Which is obviously leading to our next point because like That's seizures right. are a huge <laughs> thing, right? In human, in, in human right. medicine originally, like a couple years yeah. ago. Pain relief, nausea, yeah. anti-inflammatory, seizures. These are the things that humans historically, sedation, anesthesia. These are the things that humans historically have used cannabis for. And it goes, it stands to reason that then pet owners are going to start trying it for their animals as well. And especially as we see the move towards legalization on the medical side and or the recreational side, depending on where you live, um, then there's more and more news about it. People are talking about it more. Everybody feels a little more open about discussing their use because it's not as stigmatized. It's, it's legal. So there's a little less stigma for folks to talk about it, to be open about it. And that has led people, a lot of people, you know, I consult with clients and ask them, what brought you to cannabis? Like, mm -hmm. why are you thinking about using cannabis? And most of them say, well, I mean, a lot of them are still a little stigmatized about it. They're yeah, like, yeah. Well, I, my, I smoked a little bit in college. I'm like, look, I, this is, uh, this is a judgment-free zone. If you're using it now or not using it or never used it or whatever, I don't care. Uh, I just want to know what brought you here. And a lot of it is, well, you know, my brother's using it or my aunt mm -hmm. or uncle or grandmother and, or a friend used it for, for their pain or their anxiety. And so I thought I would try it and then it worked for me. And so I thought, oh, you know, my dog has anxiety. I bet I could use it for my dog too. Mm -hmm. And that was my entree really into, into cannabis use in veterinary species was I had a dog who was fireworks phobic. Mm -hmm. And he, um, he got really, really scared of fireworks. I had never had a noise phobic dog before. And we tried the traditional drugs that were available at the time. This was pre-trazodone, mm -hmm. um, at least in veterinary medicine. And so we didn't have that. So he did not react well to those drugs. He was like your worst drunk friend at the bar. Yeah. He just picked fights with everybody and yelled at everybody. And then like passed out and he'd pass out for like, an hour and then he'd wake up and be nervous again and scared of the fireworks. And so I was like, I gotta find something that else that's gonna help. And cannabis worked for him. Yeah. And that led me to then think, oh, if that works for that, like what oh, else my older for? dog, yeah, my older dog is on Prozac because, well, not Prozac, but clomipramine because he has some anxiety issues. I wonder if it could help him and maybe I can reduce the doses of those meds that I'm giving him. And sure enough, it did in fact work that way for, for my pets. And that was my entree into it. And that's kind of what brought me to this, to the world. Do you think cannabis use, do you think that veterinary use of drugs such as cannabis, um, or plants such as cannabis, like will 
follow the pathway of like how it's going in humans, right? We're, we're becoming a little bit more aware of the abilities of cannabis and marijuana in humans. Yeah. And so what's surfacing now, it seems like is the benefits of like mushrooms, right? Like, do you think that's going to follow too? I agree. Into veterinary medicine, like the use of mushrooms? I do. I think, you know, psychedelics are a, a little bit, it's, it's a, it's an interesting idea. We don't know enough about the interior mind or psyche of our animal companions. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a little risky to talk about modulating that with um, psychedelics. Because oh, yeah. I think that it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit scary it's a, because it's we a new don't discovery know. for humans, right? We, like it's- Yeah. And we don't know a lot about the emotional state of animals and they can't tell us about their emotional state. Yeah. So I worry because just because I know enough people who have had bad trips themselves. Um, and I worry a little bit that someone might <laughs> you know, a dog could have a yeah, bad yeah. trip. And then what does what happens then? What well that's what I mean. Like, because right now in the, in the mushroom world, from what I'm gathering is like microdosing is a thing, right? That, so that's oh, where yeah. you take the psychedelic mushrooms, but not to a psychedelic effect. That's right. In theory, it obviously, in theory, like, right. <laughs> that's exactly right. In and theory. So it's, it's different for everybody. I just wonder if the pathway of it is going to just open, I guess, a doorway to investigate it a little bit more. But I do think you're right that because we don't know the mental state of our pets, like we do, a human can tell you like, no, that was too much. Like a that human was... can say like, I'm really freaking out right now. You yeah. know, I, oh my God, what is this? And you can talk with them. You can explain what's happening, right? You can remind them, Hey, you took a psychedelic. This is expected. This is normal, whatever. Um, but you can't do that with a dog. And that, you know, actually, we can talk a little bit about, if you want, let's talk a little bit about intoxication um, yeah. with cannabis, because I think that's a nice place to talk about that and, and something we worry about. And that a lot of veterinarians, when they talk about their misgivings or their concerns about getting started with cannabis, is most of them, their only experience is having dogs who got into somebody's THC and came in with, with an intoxication. Yep. And we know that THC is the inebriating compound. And so when we have dogs or cats, very rarely cats, I think mm-hmm. I may have had one cat pot toxicity, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but dogs, right? So they come in, they can't walk. They have what, what's called a static ataxia. They're swaying mm-hmm. on their feet, almost as if they've forgotten how to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that's because there's a high number of CB1 receptors in the cerebellum in dogs. So it's really, it's, if they get too much THC and THC binds preferentially to that CB1 receptor, and then we know that means it's going to affect their balance. It's going to affect their, um, how they are able to move about in the world, their proprioception, because that's what the cerebellum does. So Mm -hmm. if we have a bunch of receptors there and all of a sudden it's flooded with a bunch of THC, that's one thing we're going to see. They lose control of their bladder right? Mm -hmm. They leak urine. This is one of the signs that that used to be the thing, right? In emergency, if you see a dog who's dribbling urine, that's probably, yeah. (laughs) Um, And so all, and, and when you see these dogs, those of you listening, work in emergency, even in GP, when you see these dogs or like you, right? Doing telehealth, Mm -hmm. you, when you talk to an owner about it, they're going to see, they're going to have these signs that they see, and they are disturbing because, 
dogs don't like to be high because they don't understand why they feel the way they do. Humans take a substance and expect to have a certain feeling from that substance. This is why I'm really opposed to dosing people without their knowledge, right? It's not right oh, to like yeah. flip some THC in the punch bowl or, you know, like they used to do in the sixties, right? Put acid in the punch bowl. Like that's not nice. Oh my God. <laughs> people who then experience these effects without knowing, without expecting the effects, mm-hmm. um, it can be, it can be very, very frightening. And I think that, I mean, I don't want to anthropomorphize too much, but I think that's what dogs experience when they get. Well, yeah. Right. It's just like, I mean, like, I guess as a human too, right? Like if you're just testing the waters and you're getting into it, and, but you take a little bit too much, like, right. And you, you yeah. reach that point. It's like when you're drunk, right? Like everybody right. has a level of drunkness that they like and that they feel comfortable at. And then you reach a certain point that you're like, and I'm out of, Oh, control. I went too far. That <laughs> was one tequila too many. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so and for dogs, I feel like they do have a certain point where they're, like they're feeling good. And then all of a sudden it's like, holy right. crap, now what's happening? And like, that's why we are so lucky now that hemp is legal at the federal level. And so we have such a huge variety of products we can mm-hmm. choose that are safe because yeah. they have very low levels of THC. And that THC has a place. It has medicinal effects. It, it has some effects that we can take advantage of. Um, and we're talking about, and, and I, as I said in the previous episode, we're not gonna get super into chemistry, but we're talking about decarboxylated THC. Mm-hmm. And what that means is when the molecule is, is dried or heated or aged, it loses a certain chemical group. And then we call it the decarboxylated decarboxylated form. And that is the quote unquote active form of THC. That's Mm -hmm. the one that is going to lead to inebriation and those effects. And so when we have that form itself has medicinal properties, no Mm -hmm. doubt about it. There are things we can harness that that molecule does that we want. Um, And we can mitigate those inebriating effects in lots of different ways. And I'm going to touch on that in a second. Which I'm but very excited also, for. <laughs> yeah, the other forms of THC, raw THC, those THCA, the uh, acidic forms, which we talked about in the previous episode, which are all cannabinoids have an acidic form that exists in the raw plant before it's heated or dried or aged. Um, that form uh, has a whole other set of therapeutic effects and is non-inebriating. So we can get some of the decarboxylated THC, mm-hmm. the Delta-9 THC effects with the raw form and not, and not have the inebriation, which is fantastic. Yeah. But also we're finding now as research proceeds and we're getting deeper and deeper into research about the molecules and their impacts on different species, um, there is very little that THC can do that CBD can't do. So really- we can get, we can achieve most of what we want to achieve. It, it appears so far mm-hmm. with just CBD. We don't really need THC. And that is great for our animal friends because we don't want to make them high because they don't like to be high. Uh, so we really want to avoid uh, particularly high levels of THC, but really if we can avoid THC altogether, or just in the very, very small amounts that it exists in a whole plant product in a Mm -hmm. hemp product, that is perfect. And we can really use that and we can modulate then the effects 
both through dosing and through the terpene profiles in the products that we select. And we'll talk about product selection um, in a little bit. But I think most people, a lot of veterinarians get scared because they know the pot dogs. They see the toxicities and in their minds, cannabis is equivalent to THC. They just think of yep. it as the same thing. When they think of cannabis, they think marijuana. They don't think hemp. Yeah. Um, pot dogs, most pot dogs don't need medical intervention. Correct. Because they're dribbling urine, because that static ataxia, that standing swaying, um, they're, they're super sensitive to noise and sound. So a lot of or noise and movement. So a lot of owners don't like to try and manage those dogs at home because mm -hmm. there's just a lot going on. Yeah. So you can certainly hospitalize them for observation, but there's very little you need to do for those dogs, generally speaking, um, except like keep them quiet and calm in like and a, a dark, dark place, and, you know, yeah. that is like the best and just let them sleep it off. Now, that's for like your run of the mill ingestions. Uh, one thing I worry about is super, super high doses. And that can be either through eating a ton of marijuana or perhaps being exposed to some of these super concentrated products that are available now mm -hmm. um, that have incredibly high concentrations of THC. So then it doesn't take very much to cause a very severe ingestion. Yeah. That being said, studies done in the 70s as part of um, Nixon's war on drugs, the anti-drug campaign that he wanted to wage, he asked the National Institute of Health to do studies on marijuana um, to find, to, to, his goal was to prove how dangerous marijuana was. And instead, what happened is they found that it wasn't dangerous at all. They gave... Um, animals and humans up to nine grams per oh. kilogram of body weight Whoa. of cannabis. Now for context, for those of you who don't know about cannabis as a, as a medication or, or, you know, as a recreational, these are dosed in milligrams, not in grams. So when we're talking about nine grams, that's 9,000 milligrams per kilogram. Well, these are huge whopping doses of THC. Uh when you think about like, if you were purchasing marijuana, right? Like if you were, per like, I don't know if you can even buy nine grams of marijuana. That would be anywhere. so much like it's, it's, a de it's decriminalized in my state. So you can't carry more than like, I think the limits one, it's either one gram or one ounce. I don't remember. Cause I don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't carry that much. Like right. I don't, exactly. I don't have that but, much. But that's the thing. It's just the, and just like with every, if we use study toxicology, right. The dose makes the poison. Yeah. But we know from these studies that you can give huge amounts of THC and not kill anything. Yeah. In fact, the only animals that died in those experiments were mice and rats, rodents. And the reason that the rodents died is not because of the THC in particular, that molecule didn't do anything that led to the death of those animals. What happened is rodents are reliant on muscular activity to maintain their body temperature. Yep. They don't have, a, their hypothalamus doesn't control their body temperature like it does in humans or larger mammals. But in rodents, they need motion to keep their body temperature. This is why when rodents sleep, they sleep in a big pile because mm -hmm. they conserve their body heat that way and they can stay alive. The animals, the rodents in these studies died of hypothermia because they got what's known in stoner parlance as couch lock. 
right? Yeah. So they basically zoned out, they stopped moving, they got hypothermic and they died. Yeah. We don't have to worry about that with dogs uh, or cats or humans because we have other thermoregulation. Um, we have ways of monitoring and, and keeping our temperature normal. Um, the, the other thing that, that I worry about with ingestions is um, co-ingestions. So mm -hmm. for example, with these really concentrated products that are out there, things like dabs or resins that are super, super concentrated, um, a lot of them use uh, chemicals to get to that concentration. So they use a lot of different kinds of um of uh, distillants and hydrocarbons and stuff, those mm -hmm. can be dangerous. Uh, if we're talking about edible products that a mm -hmm. lot of people buy and use like gummies, like cookies, like drinks, um, if any of them have xylitol or yep. birch sugar or something like that, I worry about those ingestions. Um, oatmeal raisin THC cookies, the raisins are gonna be a problem. Dark chocolate of course, bars. Dark chocolate bars. <laughs> with cannabis. I worry more about the dark chocolate than I do about the cannabis. Yeah, but absolutely. Some of these animals and synthetic cannabinoids are a whole other ball game. Um, cannabis butter is a whole other ball game. And mm -hmm. there was a study in JVEX of several years ago where they did in there, it was a retrospective study and they found two patients that died um, after presenting to the ER for pot toxicity. But both of those animals had eaten butter. And so when they, they could not say that the cannabis is what led to these animals demise, mm -hmm. um, because they had raging pancreatitis, uh, like they were super, super sick more from the butter than from yeah. the cannabis, which as so, I am text, we obviously know that that's right. pancreatitis very much can kill pets and like that's right. does that and... infl inflammation and everything, you know, THC can only do so much in regards to inflammation. Um, when you, when you, when something gets into a pound of butter, right. That's a, that was a, it's a big problem. There are some animals that get so stuporous or, um, you know, so couch locky, right. So sedate that they need their airways protected because, mm -hmm. um, THC is an anti-emetic, but there can be a paradoxical nausea that can come if you have too much THC. So mm -hmm. there are times when we're going to want to monitor these dogs for aspiration pneumonia. We want to keep them, um, we want to keep them level. We want to keep their head elevated. We want to keep them from choking on their own vomit basically. Right. But in, Different from opioids, for example, the reason that people or animals die from opioid overdoses is because the opioid receptors are, um, there's a high concentration of them in the respiratory centers of our brains. Right. And so opioids bind to those and they depress your respiratory drive. Mm -hmm. So what happens is you stop breathing and yeah. then your heart stops beating. Um, and that's how opioid overdose kills people. That's what it does is it shuts down the, the, your desire to breathe and you stop mm -hmm. breathing and then your heart stops, yep. but that's not what cannabis does. Those receptors aren't as present in the respiratory system, um, the cannabinoid receptors. So we don't have that problem. Um, cannabis 
can cause vasodilation. So it can have impacts on the cardiovascular system, mm -hmm. on blood pressure, but the body also has ways of mitigating those. We have compensatory responses to take care of that. Um, part of that is raising the heart rate. So if you have a patient who presents to you, who's ingested THC, who is a heart dog, that may be something that's going to warrant some some more intensive monitoring than a normal pot toxicity. Mm -hmm. um, but for the most cases, these patients present, they are scary. If you don't know it's pot. Yeah. Um, I have been present at many of these and had to present estimates to owners, um, you know, or treatment plans to be like, look, we don't know what this is. So we're going to have to get a neurologist. We're going to have to get a cardiologist. We're going to have to get, mm -hmm. um, you know, all these people to consult on this case uh, because we don't know what it is. And the differential list is long based on the presenting symptoms. Um, so if someone can just tell us that instead, yeah. <laughs> oh, I think it got into my stash or my favorite story on this is we had two little Boston Terriers that came in elderly couple. I mean, I say elderly, uh, this was like 15 years ago. So they were probably my age, right? <laughs> I, I was going to say, I'm picturing like my dad and like, I feel like something like this would yeah, happen. No, these, no, they were like, they were like in their late sixties, early seventies. Um, and you know, they brought in these two adorable Boston Terriers and the Boston Terriers were messed up, dribbling urine, staggering, kind of stuporous, right? Mm -hmm. Like barely rousable. And we're like, well, this is bad. And it's weird that there are two of them. And like, oh gosh, like this is really bad. And the the doctor said, do you guys have teenage kids or no? Do you have any like college age kids visiting you or house guests or like, no, what, like, why are you asking this? <laughs> the doctor's like, well, if I didn't know better and I just looked at these dogs and looked at this clinical signs, I would say, this looks like a marijuana toxicity. And they, they got real quiet and they looked at each other and they looked at the doctor and they were like, why would the dog eat? Why would the dog eat that? And then we were like, okay, this is pot. Realistically, <laughs> and they though, went home, they went home and they called and said that those two dogs, those damn dogs ate our entire stash of marijuana. <laughs> realistically though, like I like how the doctor and everybody was like, there's no way these old people like are. Yeah, so exactly. But, but their prime was in the sixties and seventies. That's exactly <laughs> right. It was a no brainer and we're in yeah. California. So yes, of course it was pot and it was pot. So yeah. So the good news is there's very little risk of fatality if it's a straight THC ingestion. Worry more about the co-ingestions. Or comorbidities. Um, butter, right. Butter, yeah. raisins, xylitol, the, the baddies. If yeah. the patient has other comorbidities, heart disease, um, other kinds of you know, disease factors that could be impacted by an increase in heart rate in response to vasodilation, those kinds of things, then they're going to need more monitoring. But in most cases, it's self-limiting. They're going to get over it by themselves and they're not going to die. There's a very, very wide safety index for these molecules, um, which is great. I think the uh, frustrating part for clients though, is like when we try to tell them that like their dog's going, they're looking for like a specific time frame of when their dog is going course. to go back to normal. Right. But like, we can't determine like everybody's right. different. Like that's exactly no... right. And that is the beauty and frustration of the endocannabinoid system yeah. is every creature's endocannabinoid system is different. We call it um, we're, a lot of folks are using the term endocannabidome or endocannabidiome. Mm. It's like the microbiome in your gut, mm -hmm. but 
around your endocannabinoid system. So how many endocannabinoids do you produce? How healthy is your ECS? Do you have good, a good number of receptors, not enough receptors? Like how is everything interacting with each other? And that's going to determine number one, how effective any dosing mm -hmm. we're going to do for anything is going to be and where the final therapeutic dose is going to fall. In some cases, it might be more than what the published studies are saying should be effective. In mm -hmm. some cases, it may be much less. Owners may be, may be getting the effects that they're looking for, the relief that they're trying to find for their pet at a much lower dose. Some disease conditions, for example, epilepsy, seizure mm -hmm. control, we're finding that the, the therapeutic doses that we've identified for things like osteoarthritis or inflammation mm -hmm. um, may not be high enough for seizure control. We yeah. may need to go much higher for seizure control. Um, so all of these things come into play. And so it is impossible to tell an owner, oh, your dog's going to be fine in like two hours. Number yeah. one, it's almost impossible to tell how much they ate in most cases, unless yeah. they ate an edible that's clearly labeled. If they just ate a bag of pot, they just ate the bud, right? We don't know exactly how much they got. We can do some math based on the percentage of the reported percentage of the mm -hmm. THC that's in that particular product. But if you're in a not an illegal state or a decriminalized state, and you're not getting things from a from a dispensary where there are labeling requirements and things like that, you don't know for sure what it is that they got into. So it is unfortunately well, and I'm impossible sure there's to a, tell. There's a variable too, right? On like exactly. what the product is, like if it's an edible versus if it's the flower or the bud. Oh, that's a whole other, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, most cases of, of um, pet overdoses or pet intoxications, it's gonna be edible. So they're going to have eaten a cartridge oil, a gummy, a cookie, dr had a drink, or I mean, dogs, because dogs eat everything, they will mm -hmm. eat the flour, even though yeah. it's bitter. It like, I don't know why it doesn't taste good, but they'll eat it. Yeah. Um, and so usually it's an ingested intoxication. Yeah. Um, we very rarely see a topical intoxication. These molecules aren't super well absorbed through the skin. That's so really, if you put something on, it might, you might spit, maybe like I think of all the crazy things, right? You knock a bottle over, you spill all your. I was literally just thinking about dog yeah, or spilling cat, an oil on my. And they like lick it off, right? I worry a little bit about the base oil. What is that going to do? How, what kind of oil was it? How um, are they going to get pancreatitis from that oil ingestion? Yeah. Um, and then I worry a little bit about the THC, but it's still an ingested intoxication. I'm still mm -hmm. going to bathe those, that dog or cat, right. I'm going to get yeah. as much off of them as possible. Typical toxicological, um, protocol, mm -hmm. but mostly it's that we don't, we highly discourage hot boxing your pets. Don't try to <laughs> blow pot smoke or vapor into your pets ears. This is a big one. I hear they, they put it in the ear because they think it gets absorbed by the ear or because people aren't super smart about anatomy and physiology, that it goes through the ear into the brain. Um, oh my gosh. So people, I hear this a lot. Oh, well, I just blow it into their ear. Um, they're getting secondhand smoke because it's close to their nose and mouth. Um, but usually as with every inhalant, those effects are going to be much more short lived than yep. an ingestion. So ingestion is going to, these are, um, they are subject to hepatic uh, recirculation. So um, what's the term I'm looking for? 
G, the, you know, they go through the portal system. So you mm -hmm. will have reabsorption. So we do recommend charcoal. Um, and in, in the case of an ingestion, it, especially if it's severe and the patient can swallow. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot to consider, but that's a whole ER talking. This is the IM podcast. So, uh, so let's talk about what people are using it for, for animals. And it's the same thing that they're using it for, that they use for people. Pain relief anti-inflammatory, um, a big use. These, these numbers are from a study that was done and published in 2016 by the Journal of Holistic uh, Veterinary Medical Association. Um, and so they found that people were using it a lot for age-related changes in behavior. So changes in sleep-wake cycles, cogn canine cognitive dysfunction, um, sundowner syndrome. So they were using it for those kind of age-related changes. Some, some older pets get anxious. They get kind of anxiety-like symptoms. So they were using it for that. Seizures, a big one. And this really took off when, um, when the story of Charlotte uh, the child in Colorado who yeah. really kicked off the modern movement towards, uh, legalization because it was, this poor girl was subject to, um, she had one of the severe childhood seizure disorders, either Dravet's or, or, um, the other one, which I can't remember the name of off the top of my head, but they, the family lived in Colorado and, um, Colorado was way ahead of the game in terms of legalization, but partly because of this, they, this family, made their own high CBD uh, cannabis to give to their daughter to help control her seizures. And it did. And it worked so that she was actually able to go to school, which she couldn't do because she had, this was a little girl who had seizures literally all day. She and was I, basically yeah. like status all the time, but yeah, seizures helped story. her be able to function. Um, cannabis helped her be able to function because it reduced her seizures in combination with traditional anti-epileptic drugs or AEDs, right? So, uh, and then thinking about those side effects from AEDs, and we see this in our patients all the time, um, the, the really, that, that severe lethargy that some animals can, can accommodate mm -hmm. and, and become accustomed to and, and, you know, and adjust to, uh, but we can reduce eventually possibly some of those doses of AEDs um, or maybe get them down to one or two AEDs instead of the three or four that they're on when we combine it with cannabis, which is a really, really powerful um, reason that a lot of people are trying it or want to try it for well, dogs. And, and it's reasonable too, right? Because like our it's totally reasonable medications in animals do have effects to the liver and like, yes, you know, we do need to keep monitoring those things long-term. So right. if we can even use the lowest possible effective dose of those medications and that's add our goal, cannabis, right? That's... That is our goal. Get everything to the lowest effective dose that we can. That's that's multimodal medicine, and that's the that's the safest way to practice medicine. So, um, so it's a, a very it's a very it has a lot of potential for seizures. Uh, people are using it in their animals for anti nausea, so like car sickness stuff like that, muscle spasm, noise phobias. As I told you, that was my entree into cannabis vet mm -hmm. in veterinary medicine, and then people are using it topically. And there's a there was a fascinating case report out of I think India, um, maybe. Bangladesh, but a practitioner there had a cat with this huge tumor on its eye. Um, and the only treatment this vet did, uh, according to him, so take it with a grain of salt, no one's watching him do this, it's a case study, 
but he just put cannabis oil on the tumor. Mm. And um, in, I think if he said three months, it fell off, literally fell off, no more tumor. So, so people are using it topically. I'm not saying that is like, go for it, put yeah, it on yeah. every tumor you have, <laughs> but we have a case, at least one case report that shows it can be effective topically. Like I said, they're not, these, these uh, molecules are not super well absorbed topically because they are lipophilic and the skin has multiple layers that you have to get through, right? So you need something to help it get through. And we haven't yet found the holy grail to help with that penetration to get those products absorbed. And remember when we talk about absorption in pharmacology, we mean in the bloodstream, not just like soaked up by the skin, but from the skin into the bloodstream, that's absorption in pharmacological speak. So this is what people are using it for um, in dogs. In cats, they're using it for pain relief to help them sleep better. So again, that the, the hyperthyroid cat, right? Or those cats who wake you up at three in the morning because they're hungry or whatever, like they're using it for that. Um, inflammation, kind of the catch-all inflammation, um, nausea reduction, anti-cancer, and then um, for the cats and dogs also, again, topically, big, big use. And the most common side effects that were reported in this survey that was done in 2016 or published in 2016 were sedation and increased appetite. <laughs> so that's what we saw. Um, so that was really, really interesting um, to see how people are already using it. So for the folks who tell us there's not enough research, um, this, I, uh, there's a, there was a study published, or maybe it was not, not a study, but you know, and, and a journalist wrote in 2021 um, that so far, just in that year, just in the year 2021, there were over 3,900 scientific papers published about cannabis. And many of those, that's one year, one yeah. year. And people have been researching cannabis since the 60s. <laughs> probably so, so do the not longer <laughs> right and as i said in the first episode many of these studies use animals as models so we have a lot of what we call preclinical evidence where animals were models that were used in these experiments and we can take that data and mm -hmm. and really take advantage of that data uh now we have several papers using animals as the actual subjects right the test subjects the the target species um the the most famous one i think in veterinary species is the one that was done by elevet in 2018 that was a double blind placebo controlled double crossover study very very rigorous science applied to this mm. um where they tested the safety and efficacy of a whole plant hemp-based CBD product, which was Elevet. And they found that what they used in that study, which was fantastic, they were able to um, determine a generally accepted therapeutic dose for treatment of osteoarthritis, which is two migs per kg of CBD, two migs per kg per day. Um, I think, wait, may, might be four migs, two migs per kg BID of CBD. Um, for osteoarthritis. Uh, and coupled on to that, not only did they do an efficacy study, but they did a safety study. So they were, mm. they did blood results. They, you know, it, a lot of it was um, owner survey. So owner reported, but with vet visits. So they did force plate gait analysis to prove that they had pain relief, that they had better functionality. Um, and 
the safety study was super interesting because they found very few adverse effects, um, some GI effects, some vomiting, some nausea, some diarrhea, maybe from the carrier oil, mm, unsure. Uh, but very limited. I think in the study of the, like out of all the dogs, it was a very, very small percentage that had any side effect whatsoever. Um, they did see elevations in ALT. So we see that also in humans using cannabis. We see it in every species, particularly if they use cannabis long-term. We see elevations in ALT. What other drug class do we use that causes elevation in liver enzymes? <laughs> I mean, prednisone, right? Mm -hmm. That's like the mainstay of IM, oncology, mm -hmm. you name it, right? Neurology, that also causes increases in ALT, expected increases, and no one gets worried about it, right? In fact, the IDEX panel even has a note on it that says the ALT is high. It has a little asterisk that says this patient is on prednisone, right? Right. So mm -hmm. we know that it increases ALT. Excuse me. Did I say ALT? I think I mean ALP. <laughs> I have to go back. ALPHOS is the one. You did that, say ALT. Yeah, so ALP. ALP okay. is elevated. But we know, again, prednisone, it, it elevates all of your liver enzymes, right? What they did in this study is they did follow up to make sure that they did bile acids testing. They ran GGD, GGT. They looked at all the other liver enzymes. Everything else was normal. Some of the dogs also hmm. had ultrasounds, no architectural changes to the liver whatsoever. So the liver is functioning really well. Uh, there is a veterinary pharmacologist who is doing um, data collecting right now for patients who are on all kinds of medications along with cannabis. So she's having blood and tissue samples sent to her so that she can evaluate them. Hmm. And she's not finding an impact on other drug levels in patients who are also using CBD, because this was a concern initially mm, that, oh, especially that with AEDs, right? Because, oh, all of these molecules use the cytochrome P450 pathway for metabolism. So if, so is CBD an inducer of this pathway? Does that mean we're going to get less drugs available, less effective dosing for our AEDs or other medication that use that pathway? Um, or is it going to be an inhibitor? Is it going to create overdoses of these AEDs? There has been no proof to show any effect. There's no interaction um, with, of cannabis with these other medications, which is great. I mean, no harmful interactions. Um, so the reason that we think, for example, it works in, so we know for arthritis, we have a bunch of studies now that have repeated these Elevet results. Uh, there are some seizure studies out there. There was a pilot study done that didn't show a statistical difference between um, an improvement in the control group and the treatment group, but there was a reduction in seizure activity in the treatment group. It wasn't statistically significant. It was a very small group because it was a pilot study. So they are, they've enrolled a bigger uh, group to mm. do this, to find, um, to see if they can get to some statistical significance. But I also think maybe the dosing wasn't quite high enough. And I think as we're finding the more we're using uh, cannabis to help with seizure treatment, that it actually may require higher doses than it does for osteoarthritis um, help. So, so we're finding these, but because the safety margin is so wide, because dosing, yeah. we have so much room to go on dosing, it's okay. We can play with that dose until we find the level that works to get the control that the owner really wants to meet the owner's mm. goals, whatever 
those are. Uh, in 2019, so that, that was the pilot study. And then in 2019, there was, um, oh, that was the pilot study in 2019. Um, and we may need these full studies, like I said, are, are being done now. And the preliminary results from those studies are showing higher doses may be more effective. And then just last year, they did a study. There was a study out that tried to evaluate the safety profile in cats because we have the Elevet study that did safety and efficacy in dogs. So now we have one that shows safety in cats. And they did um, 20 cats and they gave them escalated doses up to very high doses of they did CBD by itself, they did THC by itself, and they did a CBD THC combo. Um, and they found that. I mean, the highest dose that they gave was 30.5 mg per kg of CBD, <laughs> 41.5 mg per kg of THC in the individuals, Whoa. and then um, 13, 13 to 8. So in the combo, it was a 13 milligrams of CBD to 14 to 8.4 milligrams of THC. That was the ratio for them in that product. Um, and all of the doses were tolerated in young, healthy cats, both male and female. Um, they mixed cannabinoids with either sunflower oil or medium chain triglyceride oil, MCT oil. And we know from other studies around MCT oil that it has maybe not, not great effects in some cats. We know that MCT isn't probably the best choice. Um, there are potentially some cardiac effects there. You know, MCT is coming under a little bit more scrutiny than it, than it once was. Um, and they did find that the sunflower oil was more um, tolerated. It was tolerated better mm. than the MCT oil. This goes back again, I think, to a little more natural, maybe. It feeds into that bias for sure. Um, very little side effects, not surprisingly, higher side effects in the THC groups. And those were <laughs> ataxia and um, lethargy. And interestingly, um, third eyelid stuck out and, and that disturbs people just like with ACE, right? People don't like how their animals look yeah. at ACE because they're all like, and their eyes yeah. are popping out. And so, so I love that their third eyelid goes yes. up. It's just like, it makes me think of all those people that are super high and they're like, I gotta put the eye drops in. Yeah. My eyes are red. It's drying my eyes. It's making them uncomfortable. Yes. So um, figuring out the right dose for different different animals because everybody's endocannabinoid system is different. Everybody's endocannabidiome is different, right? What their ECS and their own endocannabinoids and their other exposures to cannabinoids, all of that is individual. So dosing has to be individual as well. Because we have this huge safety margin, it makes it um, really endlessly fascinating and in some sometimes frustrating because mm -hmm. um, it's almost impossible to know we can have a target but in some cases, our effective dose is going to be much less. In some cases, it's going to require more. So it's some trial and error. But like now, a lot of drugs, they have a range. Like so. a lot <laughs> of drugs. Yes. Well, I was going to say, it's kind of like the idea of prednisone, right? Are you just using it for itching or are you trying to immune suppress? Like those are very different doses. So that's exactly right. I think you kind of have to think about it that way too. Right. Like, you know, what is your intended effect for it? Right. So I will say veterinarians don't know a lot about this. Like we talked about in the first episode, they don't learn about it in vet school. We don't learn about it in tech school. This is not a standard part of the veterinary curriculum uh, mm -hmm. in the pharmacology class or anything. So 
they did, there was a study conducted in 2019. Um, and what they did was they were looking to see what veterinarians knowledge, comfort, and experience was with using cannabis in their patients. <laughs> Zero. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they did a survey through VIN. So that was the, um, that was the, the group of people that they surveyed. Uh, and they found that 61% of vets were comfortable talking about cannabis with a colleague, but only 45 of them felt comfortable enough to talk to their clients about using it in pets. And new grads were less confident. And I think that um, mm -hmm. that's just true because new grads are less confident, period. I think it right. takes a, a while to get to get confident, to gain experience and become, you know, a, an actual confident practitioner, um, right. as opposed to simply a competent practitioner, right? Mm -hmm. Just like text. It's the I same thing. It takes. I don't know if you would know this based off of like that study. I'm sure it says like what specific questions were asked, but like, I know that there's people out there or veterinarians out there or veterinary professionals out there who are confident in talking to their <laughs> clients about it because it's one of those things where like, it can't hurt. That's right. We don't have proof that it's going to help. That is, that is the stance that a lot of veterinarians take. Um, we mm -hmm. don't, you know, you hear the, we don't have enough evidence, which I think we have, I've yeah. shown you that's not the case. Um, we do, we have plenty of evidence. Um, and, but they, they say it, it, it probably can't hurt. And that is true as long as you pick a safe and effective product. So mm -hmm. that was a perfect question. Mm -hmm. It's going to lead us in to our next discussion, which is yeah. what do you look for in a product? Um, and like, how is that impacted by the legal situation in your particular state? So we talked about terminology in the first episode and terminology really matters when we start talking about this with clients because it's important that we educate them about what they want to look for uh, when they go either to the dispensary or the pet store or online because it is very much the wild west out there yeah, in the head right market now it's bad. in terms of what you can get but and what you should mm. get. So yeah. um a lot of the stuff that you'll see is marketing speak. It doesn't mean anything. Um, so you'll see people, one, an ingredient might be um, this product is fortified or enhanced with hemp seed oil. Hemp seeds have very few, if any, cannabinoids. So it's a great, very healthy oil. I think it's a perfect choice for using if you want to make an oil. Um, for someone to use as a tincture or whatever. I think hemp seed oil is fantastic because it's very healthy. Um, it comes from the hemp plant. So you're hemp plant. So you're going to get some, maybe they're going to work together. You're going to get maybe <laughs> some entourage with it, even though there are no cannabinoids in it or little to no cannabinoids present in them in seeds at all. Um, we used to see this term industrial hemp. Uh, we don't see that anymore since hemp was legalized at the federal level in 2018. So mm. what was known as industrial hemp before is now just hemp, less than 0.3% THC on a dry matter basis. Um, full spectrum versus isolate. These I think are incredibly important distinctions. And when we talk about full spectrum, what we mean is, um, the whole plant, and you might see whole plant extract, right? Uh, these are important because we want to take advantage of that entourage effect. We want to get all the molecules that were present in the plant as it was growing in the field or the greenhouse or whatever. We want as many molecules 
as possible coming from that into the final product that's going into our body or our pet's body. So I look for a full spectrum or whole plant extract. I think that is gonna be the most effective. Um, you're gonna require lower doses to get the same effect than you would from an isolate product. So an isolate is where they take that molecule and pull it out by itself, throw the rest away or do whatever the, they don't throw it away, but do whatever they're gonna do with the other stuff. They take THC and send it off to that manufacturer over there and CBD to this manufacturer and the rest to like, you know, the hempcrete companies so they can build houses out of hemp, uh, and which is also super interesting, but the, that's neither here nor there. Um, so isolates are gonna require higher doses to get the same effects. They're, pro they're not probably not gonna be as effective as a whole plant. Um, PCR rich is a, is a marketing terminology I hear. And what that usually means is PCR stands for, this PCR rich is, a, is an oxymoron um, because PCR is phytocannabinoid rich. <laughs> so what they've done is they've taken an isolate and then they've taken a bunch of terpenes or other cannabinoid isolates and mixed it all together. And so they call it a PCR rich, but it's not, it's something they made. It's a Frankenstein product. It's not mm. what the plant was in the, in the field. So um, the other issue that we have is mislabeling. And this mm -hmm. is particularly a problem in places where it's not legal in the state, where there aren't regulations in the state talking about what's required on labels and what's required, for example, to be sold in a dispensary. So if you're using the gray or black market to get products for yourself, um, you know, that's fine, um, but you're, it, there's a big, big question mark as to what you're actually getting. So are you getting the, um, the exact variety or strain that they tell you they're giving you, they're selling you? You don't know. Um, you don't know what else might be in that product, if it's an edible product or something like that or even the bud, right? You don't know for sure what it is. Um, and Penn did this study in 2017 where they bought a bunch of stuff off the shelf. Um, this is on the human side. They just went and bought a bunch of stuff online and stuff off the shelf and whatever. And they mm. found that about 70% of CBD products uh, sold online were, or these were all online, but they've done it with shelf stuff products too. They're mislabeled. So they either have not... <laughs> the number, not the amount of cannabinoids that they said on the label, either way more or way less. Um, maybe it wasn't just CBD. Maybe there was also THC or other cannabinoids in there. There could have been solvents or other heavy metals or things in those products that weren't disclosed on the label. So, but that's common across the board when it comes to supplements in general. percent, a hundred percent. So how do you make sure you're getting a safe supplement? We saw this with Yunnan Bio just recently, right? Mm -hmm. There was a whole um, controversy because one of the producers of Unambio, and guess what? No one knows what's in Unambio. Even people who are fluent in Chinese can read the label and have no idea what the hell is in this, is in the capsule. So we don't know. It works. Great. It's probably not going to help. I mean, hurt, probably not going to hurt. It's probably <laughs> just going to stop bleeding, but we don't know. Um, and yet, People, veterinarians who will tell you there's not enough research about cannabis will be dispensing Unambio <laughs> like uh, Pez candy. So, okay. So what do we look for when we want to recommend a cannabis product? Or if your client is just out there online or in a pet store, what can they look for? So the first thing I'm going to say is a hemp product. If you get a product that comes from hemp, 
you can be assured that there is very little THC in that product because hemp is defined as a plant with less than 0.3% THC on a dry matter basis. So unless they're doing something totally illegal and mm. butting with the chemistry to make a high CBD product that's from a marijuana plant, which is possible, all things are possible with chemistry, um, but most folks aren't gonna go through that trouble, right? Marijuana is much more expensive than hemp. They're just gonna use the hemp and take the CBD from the hemp. Um, so you want a high CBD to THC ratio regardless. If it's not a hemp product, you wanna be sure you're, you have something that has way more CBD than THC. The reason for that, I mentioned in the first episode, CBD and THC are like sister molecules. And I call them sister molecules because they fight with each other. <laughs> so they um, they can they act at the same receptors at the CB1 receptor primarily. But what CBD does is it's what's called an allosteric modulator of that receptor. It binds to the side of the receptor. It doesn't bind to the primary receptor site. It binds to the side and it changes the shape of the receptor. That's why it's called allosteric. And mm. what that does is it keeps THC from being able to bind to that receptor too tightly. So it mitigates the inebriating effects of THC. Mm. And that's why there was this old stoner, old wives tale that if you got too high, just take, if you take some CBD, you'll feel, you'll feel better. You won't feel as high anymore. This is why, because huh. CBD has a very strong affinity for that allosteric site. It changes the shape of the receptor and it kicks THC off to some extent. And that lowers the effects of THC. Interesting. So when you have a very high ratio of CBD to THC in a product, you're less likely to have inebriating effects because CBD is going to keep the THC from being able to exert those intoxicating effects. pH is important. Um, a neutral pH is what you want to look for. And I'm going to tell you where to find this information. Don't worry, because <laughs> our next bullet is a third-party lab analysis, other otherwise known as a certificate of analysis or a COA. And any product that um, is committed to safety and efficacy, particularly in the veterinary market, is going to have a COA and that COA is going to be readily publicly available to you. Um, a lot of COAs are behind what I think of as a paywall, meaning you have to buy the product and follow a QR code to get to the COA for that product. Um, I call BS on that uh, because that means I have to buy it first. I want yeah, that's to- I want to know before I buy it. I want to know before I buy it. So really what they should have, what I like to see is on the website, they have lot numbers with the COA that's a, that's associated mm. with that particular lot and you can look it up. Uh, or um, if they don't have it just straight up on their website, that's the best possible solution. The next best is if you email them or contact their customer service, they send it to you very readily. No hemming mm. or hawing. Here's the COA for the product that's on the shelves right now. Um, because this is a natural product. This is a plant. It is going to be impacted by its growing conditions. So a change yep. in the amount of sunlight, a change in the amount of water it gets um, when they harvest it, right? A, a change in the temperature. It's going to change the way the molecules are expressed in that plant. So you're going to have a certain variety of cannabis that you're growing that you have an idea of what the overall balance of the chemicals is, or in the molecules in that plant is supposed to be, but those can change from harvest to harvest. So that's why these analyses are so important. The best companies 
do full analyses. That means not only the cannabinoid content, and that is a given. Any product you buy should have a graph or some kind of representation of all the cannabinoids that are present in that product and their concentrations. So you can see exactly how much CBD is in there, how much THC is in there, um, and then the other what some people call minor cannabinoids are also in that product. And there should be, if it's not an isolate, if they claim that it's a full plant product or a broad spectrum or full spectrum product, it should have a lot of cannabinoids, not just the one, not just CBD or just THC. It should have hmm. a lot of other ones. The best companies go further. They do a terpene analysis. So you can see exactly the concentrations of terpenes that are present in that product because terpenes can it can really have a big impact on the final result the final results or effects of the product that you're using so it's i want to see the terpene content i want to see a microbial analysis were there molds fungi mm. um did you find um th this is a micro but like were there bugs in it right i want to see that heavy metals Cannabis is a tremendous, what we call a bioremediator. So you can use it, for example, in a brownfield where you have toxic stuff in the dirt and you can plant cannabis there and it will suck all the toxic stuff up into the plant, um, yep. get it out of the soil. And you can have new, fresh, healthy soil that has no contaminants in it. But I don't want to take a cannabis plant full of heavy metals and other toxins and then concentrate those down into an oil or some other product and then put that in my body. And I definitely don't want to put that in my dog or my cat's body. So I want to see a heavy metal analysis. I want to see a residual solvent analysis, because if these companies are using solvents to break the plant down to its constituent molecules for whatever they want to do with the molecules, I want to make sure there are no solvents left. So a lot of companies use things like CO2 for extraction instead of ethanol or, or some hydrocarbons. And that is generally regarded as a little safer um, because CO2 is volatile. It's released into the air. And so there's no residual when you get your extraction from it. Um, so that is something important to look at. Um, the absolute best practice, the best COAs have um, all of those things and these companies perform testing three times. So it's a triple tested product. So they test the plants when they come out of the field at the harvest. They test the first extraction. So the bulk extraction from those plants to make sure that they have as many molecules or the molecules that they want, their target molecules in that extraction. And then the final product on the shelf, whether it be a treat or an oil or a gummy or whatever it is, um, I wanna know that they've also tested what's going out on the shelf for me to buy and that it is free of all of those things that were free of the plant in the field and free from the first extraction, then all the molecules that they think are there and that they say are there on the label, I wanna make sure they really are there. So COA, you can look for something. Um, there's a group called the National Animal, Animal Supplement Council. This is voluntary certification of your supplement. Um, and these guys do a full quality check. So if you see the NAC seal on a product, you can be assured that it is safe and it has gone through some rigorous evaluation. Um, a lot of supplement companies, and you'll see this on vitamins. If you take vitamins, look on your vitamin bottle. It will probably say that those vitamins were manufactured under good manufacturing practice 
or they are compliant with good manufacturing practice. GMP is a fill-in for FDA approval. So what they've done is they've mm. taken the steps that the FDA looks at to, to certify that production of something is a kind of a clean process, no contaminants, not a bunch of um, hinky stuff happening in the, in the factory. Um, and what they've done is they're saying, we, we're taking these principles, even though the FDA isn't going to approve our product, we're going to use the same principles they use to approve products in our manufacturing. So that's another thing that you can look at. Um, which I think is can be useful. When you're reading these COAs, um, they're, they, they're confusing. <laughs> but what you should get is the name of the lab. Uh, there should be a date. There should be a signature of the primary scientist in charge of the lab, making sure that they're following the lab's procedures. Um, this is a little bit, there, there has been improvements in standardization for testing, but for a long time, there were no standards. So every lab had a different um, standard that they were testing to. So that's getting a little more standardized and they are issuing um, certifications for labs now that do primarily cannabis testing, which because of the legal situation, which we're gonna get to next, was a whole thing where labs were like, we don't wanna touch that, it's illegal, yeah. <laughs> we don't wanna be involved, but now that has changed. So. You want to see a cannabinoid breakdown. You want to see um, what cannabinoids are present and the amounts that they're present. I like a, a COA that has pictures of the product so you can compare it with what you actually have in hand. Um, I want to see that terpene analysis and it should have the concentrations of the terpenes, mycotoxin testing, um, the um, uh, heavy metals, insecticides, fungicides, herbicides, all of the bad stuff, I want to see all of those listed. The absolute best result is not that it meets the standard, but you want it to exceed the standard, right? You want, so if the standard is it's okay to have two parts per million of lead in these products, you want it to have zero, right? You want it to be something very clean, very safe for your pets. I would argue for yourself too, if you're going to be using this personally. So in terms of the legal status, we mentioned it a little bit already. And in the first episode, we talked about it. The Hemp uh, Farming Act was passed in 2018 as part of the 2018 Farm Bill. And that made hemp and all of its derivatives legal at the federal level. So anything, any plant that has less than 0.3% THC is a legal cannabis plant. And everything that comes from that plant is federally legal. So any ingestible product, any topical product, whatever, if it's hemp, it's totally legal. So that's, like I said, um, everywhere in the US, uh, but very few states have provided guidance for veterinarians about how to interpret the Hemp Farming Act and hemp legalization in terms of what they're allowed to um, recommend. Uh, we cannot prescribe this, just like you can't prescribe proviable or dasiquin or glucosamine. Supplements aren't, pres aren't prescription items. They are over-the-counter items. So this is just like any other supplement that you might use. Um, and so the question is about dispensing. Then we start to get into really, really, really finite legal language. Can we dispense it? Can we recommend it? Can we discuss it? So here in California, for example, they passed a law that said that veterinarians were allowed to discuss cannabis use, but mm -hmm. that people had to, um, the client had to bring it up. They have changed that law now so that 
uh, veterinarians can be proactive about discussing it oh, and recommending nice. it. Um, and the California Veterinary Medical Board has guidelines for veterinarians, but many states don't do that. And this is a big reason why veterinarians can be a little gun shy about recommending these products is because they don't know how their state's VMB is going to look at it and they don't want to get their license in trouble. So if you are a veterinarian or you are a technician listening to this or an assistant and you think you want to start using cannabis in your in your practice um, and you want to be able to recommend it, then I think um, this is a great way for you to get involved with your state association, your medical med association, your vet tech association to advocate for changes at the legislative level or even the regulatory level with your VMB. Um, because I think that that is something where we can have a really big voice talking about the benefits of these products, how they can be helpful for our patients, um, and how we can protect consumers and make sure that they're using safe products, safe and effective products, because these products aren't cheap, right? And there is at least one insurance company that is covering these products, but the catch is they have to have been recommended by a veterinarian. So you can't just buy it off the shelf at a pet store and then submit that receipt to Trupanion for them to pay it. They have to have proof that a veterinarian recommended that you buy that specific product and what the, what it's for and all mm. that. And then they will, but they have been re, re, uh, reimbursing for cannabis medicine. So that's fantastic because wow, it's huge. products aren't cheap. Um, and that's another thing when you're talking about these products and wanting to recommend these products, if you're helping clients find them, not only what to look for, um, but how to find the most effective product where a person can get the most bang for their buck out of it. So you want a product that has a nice concentration of cannabinoids so that people can use the lowest effective amount to get the dosing that they need. So you don't want a product that's like one mig per kg of CBD or one mig per mil of CBD, because you're mm. going to have to give if, if we know the effective dose for osteoarthritis, for example, is two migs per kg twice a day, and you have a fin, right? So you have a 50 kg or a moo, right? You have a 50 kg dog. Mm -hmm. um, that's 50 mils of oil. No, thank you. Or no, that's a hundred <laughs> mils of oil because it's one yeah. mig per mil. No way. Your dog's going to get pancreatitis. It's going to be, have diarrhea. It's a mess. <laughs> so you yeah. want to find a product that has a nice concentration. Um, and it's, it's great and frustrating because we have so many products available, you can find the one that's gonna work for your patient that has a nice terpene profile, um, that has a nice high concentration. Uh, you may want to take advantage of some of the acidic forms. And there are a couple of products that have high levels of the raw forms of these cannabinoids present to really hit the inflammation. Um, so there are a lot of choices, which is frustrating and exciting. Um, but you could decide as a practice that there's a certain product you're going to recommend um, and really direct clients to those companies. Um, there are a few companies are the Veterinary Cannabinoid Academy, and the link to that will be in the show notes. Um, we have a preferred product list, and all of the products on that list meet our uh, specifications in terms of quality and safety and efficacy. Um, and so you could pick one of those products as your, as your go-to recommended um, product that you're going to have clients use. Most of the time, they can just use the dosing on the bottle, um, but you may need to help them with, um, with dosing. And, 
that may be a whole other conversation if you get a lot of questions about dosing and how to figure out the dose and how to talk to clients about that stuff. Um, I'm happy to come back for a QA and a um, or do like a Facebook Live or something like that where we do a QA and a about, about that part of it because I think um, that is complicated and fun um, and we all love doing, we're in IM because we love client <laughs> education, right? So, yeah. uh, so, <laughs> so if you want to be kind of the go-to person in your practice to do that and IVM FT is all about making you the go-to tech in your practice. So let's, <laughs> um, so if you want to do that, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to help you figure out ways to do that and help yeah. out your practice. Well, I mean, I especially would... because there's some people that are truly passionate about it. And if that, mm -hmm. and that's the thing, right? Like you've got to figure out what you want to be passionate about. And this is one of those areas that is still it's still very much growing as it well. Is. So it's definitely something that you could grow with it, which is really cool. That is exactly right. That is what I have found. I think, um, mm. when I first got into it and started talking about it and started learning more about it, um, I realized this is a growth, this is a growth area for technicians, um, for technician utilization, yeah. talking about educating clients, helping clients, counseling clients. This is, it is an ideal role for a credentialed veterinary technician or, you know, a really experienced, passionate veterinary assistant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's similar to that person who's like super passionate about like nutrition yep. or, you know, um, weight loss or yep. osteoarthritis in patients. Totally. So, I mean, yeah, if, if, and there's, a, and I think the, the, the uses for it are so it huge. It touches so, so many areas. I think it's yeah. just perfect for folks who want to get into it. All right. And now for the question of the week, I want to hear your questions. So do you want, do you want me to come back for a third episode to answer your questions? Do you want to do like a Facebook live or something like that? Like how That'd can I fun. help you get more information or learn more about how can I help you get your questions answered? It's the tip of the week. Tip of the week. I will say, learn how to read a COA. Yeah. Go. Mm. If you're in a legal state, go to a dispensary, ask for the COA of products that you're buying, go online, ask companies for COAs, um, look at our, uh, at our website or at the, the Veterinary Cannabinoid Academy Facebook group. Um, that's my big tip of the week is join the Veterinary Cannabis Academy on Facebook because Stephen posts um, uh, a study every Friday talking about oh, wow. using cannabis in veterinary medicine. Um, he's my research guru and he always has amazing studies to share. And I'm so if sure you're really out of into the like evidence. I'm sure just out of the 3,900 in one year, he's got <laughs> quite a bit to choose from. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> and there are new ones coming out all the time. And yeah. so if you really love that part and that group is only for veterinary professionals, all evidence-based. So nice. join us there. That's my big tip of the week. Yeah, I think that's a great my tip gig. <laughs> Okay. All right. All right, Sweet. guys. Well, thank you so much for oh, uh, thank joining you. us. And I yeah. love spending this time with you. Thanks for having me for two episodes. Um, I love you guys. I love what you're doing for the profession. Um, I love what you're doing for 
our academy and uh, can't wait to listen to more episodes. No, I'm thrilled off of these, <laughs> these episodes, like seriously thrilled. Like I was messaging some of my team members while we were talking and I was like, you have to like, that. like if you don't listen to any other episodes, you have to listen to these ones. Like, <laughs> You know, it's funny as I was just thinking like while we were recording, I'm like, my husband actually might listen to these two oh, episodes. He should. <laughs> and in fact, you know, what we need to do is find a time for me and Kevin to hang out and talk. Yeah, about. yeah I think right? that would be really cool. I think. <laughs> I think we would just geek out like I'd be like it's fine I kind of know what you're talking about we Cabin- would just cannabinoids flavoids yeah. terpene profiles yeah I know <laughs> geek, geek the heck out yeah <laughs> all right guys thanks right, so guys. much for listening thank you Liz thank again you. for joining us um yeah. definitely let us know if as our listeners you guys would like to hear uh more from Liz because I know I mean, selfishly, I think I might just schedule a third episode with a QA. Uh, so, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to answer know. folks' questions. I, this is something I, like Yvonne said, I'm passionate about. I love talking about it. I it's love a hot topic right now. I, th- I think it's, it's definitely warranted. So, definitely let us know. Topic. And um, thanks for listening. And we'll chat with you guys next week. Bye. Happy Bye. learning. Thanks, Liz. <laughs>